We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 257. Are you feel, feeling a little bit more calm now that the Yankees swept, that the world is not crashing down on us, that things are, are starting to get back to normal? Yeah, they swept the Sox. That's, uh, that was what we were supposed to do, right? That was the name of the game, sweep the Sox. It just so happens they exactly. were white and not red. Uh, yeah, they took care of business. They did, they did exactly what they needed to do. You know, in some cases, 
it didn't look like it was going to happen, but it did at the end of the day. And uh, that's the bottom line. So yeah, absolutely. You, you get out of Chicago with three wins and that's the best you could possibly do. So talking about a rebound from the Red Sox series, I mean, that's, they did what we needed them to do. So um, I'm very happy with the way the team is. Yeah, that, that that's good. Very that's happy. a good thing. <laughs> very, very happy. You just block out those those four days in Boston. I don't even know what you're right? talking about. Exactly. Yeah, it never happened. Uh, we're going to get into all the stuff from the White Sox series. But first, um, we wanted to do a little uh, segment on uh, a play that happened in 1998. And it's uh, it's got me I got I was starting to think about it because I saw the, the Yankees release the list of all the guys that are going to be attending the the 98 celebration which is the uh, August 18th event that we are having uh $67 you get a game ticket obviously we'll be able to watch that celebration there's going to be a pregame party at the dugout starting at 10 a.m as well as uh, you get an awesome t-shirt which the design has been finalized but I saw our boy Chuck Knobloch's name on that list and it immediately brought back memories of that play in the ALCS Ryman squares to Bunn and gets it down nicely. Martinez with the flip to first, safe. Now the Yankees are going to contend as the ball rolls away, and Wilson's being waved home. He stumbles. They may have a play on him. He slides in safely all the way to third. Goes Fryman. The Yankees are going to contend that Fryman was in the baseline or out of the baseline and got in the way of the throw. But that was a very poor play to let that ball roll down there while you wait for an umpire to make a decision. You have to go after the ball. You can't let the ball roll 10 feet down the right field line and no one go pick it up. The Yankees were so concerned with disputing the play that nobody pounced on the ball. Exactly. Yeah, that's one of those plays. What We, we wanted to talk about how how it would be uh, perceived or how it would be people would look at it today in, in today's digital era, in the social media era, in the, in the replay era, because back in 98, obviously, they didn't have the instant replay. So that changes you know, the outcome of that play significantly, I think. There's a bunch of things that, that change. Uh, but I think first and foremost, Chuck Knobloch would have been a lightning rod for oh, yeah. social media acti- activity and, and hatred. And uh, people, I mean, he, he actually engages now. I can only imagine what he would have been like back then when he was a player if he had a Twitter account. It would have been bad for him. Very bad. So, so just a quick refresher um, on the play. And, and I know we, we're, we played the audio, but it, it was a, a bunt up the line. And uh, Tino makes a throw into the runner. It bounces off the runner, kind of rolls up the first baseline. And Chuck Knobloch stands there like a friggin' sailor on the top of a boat, like standing there pointing at the umpire, watching the just the ball rolling past him. Um, I would imagine all the 55,000 people in Yankee Stadium were watching this happen, just confused. Confused it was what was happening. Uh, Enrique Wilson, who later became a, a Yankee, a, a Pedro killer, stumbling around the bases, and, and Knobloch's just there uh, watching the ball roll down. And I think everyone would have just taken to Twitter and completely eviscerated them. I think to the to the play last October when Girardi did not challenge, right. I think you'd have to multiply this by like 100 because, like you said, Chuck Knobloch would have been that lightning rod guy. No doubt. I mean, when you're seeing him standing there and the play continues, everybody's just running the bases while he's standing there basically complaining to umpires um, that, you know, they would have gone insane. I mean, the play, you look at the play now and 
And we saw what happened, uh, what was it, Tuesday night? or Yeah, I think it was Tuesday night when Shane Robinson got called out because of the, the ball hit him in the back because he was inside the base path. He was not between the, the lines going down first base. Um, that was It was a, a similar play in that sense where the, uh, the ball hit him in the back and uh, Robinson was called out, which they never do, by the way. That call is never made in baseball. And in this play in 98, he obviously wasn't, and Knobloch was complaining the entire time while Enrique... Um, well, Enrique Wilson just runs the bases and, uh, and, and, and scores. So yeah, it would have been absolutely destroyed. And, uh, the fact that, um, if he didn't challenge it at that point, <laughs> I guess if there was no, uh, there's no if, challenge, if there was no I automatic challenge if I'm we're living in, in today, if we're living in social media, I guess there would be cha- a challenge, right? But I don't think you're right. He probably does not overturn it, even though for 90 uh, or 85 of the 90 feet, uh, the runner was out of the baseline, inside the baseline. Then he just sort of veered back towards it in the end. I, and I that's think, debatable, too. I mean, you, we could all debate that because it was very close. It's when, debatable when to back. the end of time. Yes. But the fact is that whatever a lot of these times, whatever the call is on the field, that's what they just leave it as because that's the least uh, controversial for, for the umpires to make. Right. And especially in a big situation like that, they don't want to make anything to change the dictate the game. Uh, they're going to usually go... With, what happened on the field and yeah um and Nabuck just stood there as you say it which was an interesting analogy like a sailor <laughs> like a sailor on a boat yeah just just <laughs> pointing because he's there with his hands on his hips like come on guys <laughs> come on guys what, what are you seeing well how about you go get the ball asshole um yeah it, it was uh gave the indians uh it tied the series at one as it headed back to cleveland if you remember cleveland ended up winning game three and that's when the yankees had to rely on um El Duque. That was the first time El Duque showed up in the playoffs and turned into the playoff legend, and the Yankees yep. went on to win the series. But that could have been one of those plays that completely derailed an unbelievable season for the Yankees. No, absolutely. That's 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 definitely one of those plays. Um, and it's it's funny because when you look back at it now and you see how it would be treated today, it would have, it would have been treated differently for sure. And uh, when you see how many. Um, you know, with social media and, and everything that goes on to it, so you, you definitely would have you would have seen how uh, how people would have reacted. Is did you see El Duque's name on that list? I did not. The last time I checked, I don't know if they continue to add people to this list. If it's like a you know like a golf tournament celebrity yeah, list yeah. where they just continue to add. I don't know why I I I I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. But um, El Duque, remember that video of him coaching Little League? Uh, or in his son's little league, and he was flipping out at the umpire yeah. for, for a little league game, like maybe two years ago. Yeah, I, I would love to see him back. I mean, the guy still has yeah. the, the passion, and I know he goes to the uh, the fantasy camp. The Yankees have that fantasy camp, and I, he's he's actually either one of the coaches or managers of of those teams. So he's still involved with this with the uh, Yankees organization. So is I, that the fantasy camp that Kramer went to? I, I think it is. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's the one. I'm trying to get to it. That's that's going to be. I think that's my new life mission is to get to this fantasy camp and dominate. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, maybe once you're 40, I don't think they want to bring in someone under 40 to. Uh, I'm to not far off, man. Be the, I'm not far be off. Be the ringer on that. I'll, yeah, I'll tune up the body camera by then so that we can have uh, so that we can have full access to this and live tweet fantasy camp. <laughs> but um, it's going to be a fun day celebrating that team. Just remembering all the all the good times, uh, all the players that that walk out. Um, the '96 one, despite the fact that it was 150 degrees, was a really fun time. So looking forward to the 18th as well. Tickets are still on sale. If you want to get that, go check it out in the fan shop. 
Yeah, and real quick, the T-shirt, was, the design was uh, released yesterday. Uh, I put it out on Twitter and on Instagram, so go check it out. It's uh, it's basically that iconic figure of Mo at the end of the World Series, and we have the stats on there with the uh, 125 wins, which is still the most in baseball history. So it was a uh, you know one of the best teams, and as David Wells said, the greatest team that ever played. So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Hashtag DFA not block. <laughs> So we killed, uh, criticized Boone last episode for not playing Stanton in right field in Boston and why Sugar Shane Robinson was out there for for many of the games. But apparently Stanton was dealing with a hamstring injury and that news came out on Monday after we recorded. But that's why he um, he was he was DHing. Yeah. Why can't they just release this uh, this news at an appropriate time before we record and destroy you? Right. You know? Well, it's wasting interesting breaths that, here, wasting breaths here, guys. Let's let's get on top of this. So Sunday night at 8 p.m., Stanton was not good enough to go out to right field. But right. then Monday night at 8 p.m., totally fine. He, he was totally fine. Can go play right field. Yeah. I understand right field in Chicago is a lot smaller than the right field at Fenway Park. But uh, if you really want to maneuver things, why not put Stanton in left, Gardner in center and Hicks in in right field? If you. If, if, if you were treating the game Sunday night like a must win, which I think the Yankees should have been, I think that was maybe an option. I think so, too. And, and Stanton's played left field. We've seen him out there before um, this season. So this is this is an option that should have been on the table. Um, you know, I, I understand also the fact that they're trying to be very careful. If a guy says that there's something that's potentially bothering them, especially with Judge gone, like they cannot afford to lose Stanton at this point. So uh, I, I definitely understand you playing... Uh, you know, with the white gloves and making sure that everything is, is safe. But yeah, it's a little strange that he was out there for, with no problems um, in Chicago. I mean, he did DH last night, but there's, uh, you know, not, not very not very much time in between there. It makes you makes you say want to say, hmm. But yeah, you know, I figured he get, he gets Boone has a lot of confidence in Sugar Shane Robinson, apparently. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you know it's the same the confidence that he had in, uh, in, in uh, Holder early in the season. Maybe Sugar Shane Robinson's going to be this amazing player at some point. Yeah, uh, well, he's a 33-year-old journeyman, so maybe he's just going to come into his own very, very late in his baseball life. Yeah, absolutely. It, it can happen. Yeah, it could. Weirder things have happened. But Boone, uh, to a fault, is sticking to his long-haul plan. So he's going to rest guys that need rest or that he thinks need re- needs rest. They go by the, the analytics and the stats that tell them that guys that get X number of days off perform better over the long haul. They want these guys fresh for October. He is sticking to that plan. Do you think maybe the Yankees will get the last laugh and, and say, hey, look, see, all of these guys were healthy for the last two weeks in September, able to make a playoff push, able to make a run into October. Uh, but unless that happens... I think all of these criticisms that we've been making and many people have been making are extremely fair because the last week of baseball when they got swept by Boston, that was the division right there. I mean, it's, it just depends. It's really impossible to say whether, you know, whether this plan... Look, they had a plan coming into the season with the fact that they were going to rest some of these guys, I think, and just maintenance, overall maintenance. They obviously had some kind of a plan. And I think that plan is, right now when you're looking at it, and you see the guys that are, are down, your two major, two of your major cogs in Sanchez and Judge being down for an extended period of time, it almost does push that up. It puts you in a different, a, a strange situation because you want to make sure everybody's healthy, obviously. But then again, you need to play more people because you're missing two very big impact 
bats and uh, players on the on the team. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. But at the same time, like, how are we going to know if he has the last laugh? Because we're still waiting for guys to get back healthy because they're not healthy currently. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know where that plan deviated. From. Where did the plan fail to, to have Sanchez and Judge hurt? There's just, you know, like Judge, I understand, was a was hit by pitch. But but Sanchez <clears> is, Judge a, is kind of the, it's like yeah, a soft Judge, tissue injury. You know, where's, where's the maintenance there? Judge, Judge is an injury that you cannot prevent. You can't predict that, no. No, but the the Gary Sanchez uh, thing with the groin injuries, as Boone said, he needs to work on his conditioning. I think it's a fair criticism of Sanchez. Yeah, well, so, you know, it's a, I think he's going to stick to the plan. I think he's still going to rest guys because obviously he has the confidence in uh, guys like Sugar Shane Robinson. They're going to go out there and get the job done. So, you know, he's got more confidence in some of these guys than I think a lot of us do. Now that the it really does look like the Yankees are just lining up for a wild card, being nine games back of Boston. Boston is not losing. They're on pace for a 700 win percentage, which is insane. And the Yankees, uh, with the sweep in Chicago, have built up another uh, a little bit more of a cushion over Oakland. Um, I still am looking forward to that series in Oakland and that West Coast trip before I can say, all right, the Yankees have the wild card locked up. But unless they make the division series, meaning win the wild card game and and make it to the real playoffs do you think boone uh has his job on the line no i don't think i don't think at all i think they're when they signed boone and they brought him in to be the manager they knew that there could be some growing pains in the very beginning because of you know the lack of experience and i think they have a minimum years attached to him managing unless there was something completely catastrophic that happened so no, I don't think he's I don't think he's managing for his job because I still think at the end of the day right now they're still playing um, a high level of baseball. They're winning a ton of games, and it's just overshadowed by the fact that Boston just doesn't lose anymore. That's right. the Didn't, biggest reason why we're all talking about this. Someone posted in the Facebook group that where the Yankees would be in the standings over the last few years with their current win percentage, and they'd be in first place by a handful of games, ranging from two games to five games to even nine games uh, over the second place team over the last few years. So that you do have to take a step back and look at the overall record. But at the same time, I think the ways that they've lost games this month and the way that they played against Boston over the weekend is, is a very fair criticism. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I can't stand looking at stats like that because it means absolutely nothing when you're looking at today. When you're looking at what's happening on this, on this day uh, in history and you're seeing where they are in the standings and what the situation will be for the playoffs, it means absolutely nothing what happened in the years past. So what you have to do is, is just make that fair assessment uh, as to what they're playing, how they're playing, and what their record looks like today compared to everywhere else. And you, all you see is them have uh, a good record, but Boston is just running away with things. And you can't do anything about that when they're not, when you're not playing them. And then when you can do something about it, you can't get swept. So those are the things that you can control. And if you can't control anything else, you just got to look at, you know, how you're playing and then, and then, you know, measure it up to everybody else on this given year. Well, it's a good thing that the Yankees had Lance Lynn, the new stopper pitching on Monday, Uh, big Lance Lynn, who looks like the, uh, the beer league softball player, just chugging Miller light and then going doing belly flops in, in the pool. Um, but he, he pitched seven and a third innings, which is the longest start by a Yankee starter since Tanaka's complete game against the Rays. I love it. I mean, this guy looks like a hoss. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, he looks like a guy that can take the ball and throw 200 pitches. 
And and uh, if he's around the zone like he was, you know, he he pitched really effectively. He looked good. He was aggressive. You know, he's got a good fastball. He's got a better fastball than I than I realized he had. Um, and he was mixing in more breaking pitches, and maybe that's the the Larry Rothschild effect uh, for you know for him coming over. But he was efficient. You know, he's he's when when you're when you're getting ground balls like he can get, uh, you can actually get deep into games because your pitch count can be managed. And if he's getting them hit at people, you know, this is a good thing. So he he acted as the stopper, and uh, and it worked, and it was beautiful. He said that he well because he flew to Chicago before the Sunday night game. He said I was watching on TV. I went to bed knowing I needed to show up today, and he showed up. Um, I understand it's against the White Sox; they're a crummy team, but uh, you have to play who you're playing. You, you, you all you can play is the schedule, and the schedule dictated that the Yankees were playing the White Sox. They needed a deep start. Their bullpen was absolutely fried, and he gave it to him. 108 pitches. Boone let him go a little bit longer because I, I don't think the Yankees care about uh, no we need monitoring. This, they need to Lance CC Lynn's him. innings. Yeah, yeah. CC Milwaukee him. Like let's, yeah. let's this guy should be throwing. I, I don't want to. I was said on Twitter that like I don't want to see less than 120 pitches out of this guy <laughs> for the rest of the season. Like let's use him yes. until he cannot throw. Any, any, any more for the for the rest of the year and just has to ice for three could, months. Could Lance Lynn in 2018 be the Aaron Small or Sean Chacon that this team has so desperately been looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think Sean Chacon is probably the the more fair comparison because this guy's been around. Aaron Small was like an anomaly. Like that was that ten was and what, zero. It was he weird. was Sugar Shane Robinson of pitchers. Like that. Mm-hmm. Like where did this guy come from? Um, Lance Lynn's had success in the league before. You know, we've seen him. Chacon had some success in Colorado at, at some point in his career. He bounced around to a ton of teams, but was really good when he came over. Um, but he could be. I mean, we can't overreact. It was one start against the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but that's what we do. We do over overreact. And I got really excited when I saw him pitch because you know what? He's pitching in Sonny's spot. And when you see yes. what, what, what Sonny Gray has been doing and and just like they're so polar opposite in the way that they they look and approach the game. It seems like like Lance Lynn looks like he's all business. Doesn't matter anything that affects him. He just goes out there and throws me throw a ball hard and and you maybe hit ball and then he'll go out there and throw it as many times as you possibly can. And then Sonny's over there like you know playing uh, playing with the angel and devil on each of his shoulder after every single pitch. Like the Ooh. kids, you know he's he's just like going back and forth. And Lance Lynn just doesn't listen to any of that. He just goes out I like and throws. That. I like that. That maybe that should be Didi's emoji for Sonny Gray is the angel and devil because his emoji for for Lance Lynn was a snowman, which which I thought was excellent. But um, yeah, imagine if so. You're Sonny saying Gray, it's because he's he, he keeps the um, the bats cold, right? That's why. I was saying because he's fat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the reason. Or snowman, uh, which is shaped like an eight. Uh, he can go eight <laughs> innings and throw 108 pitches. Right. Oh yeah. That's that's fair. That's probably it. But um, imagine if Sonny Gray was in Chicago the day before, knowing he needed to be the stopper. It would have eaten him alive. He would have had. I think he would have just melted. He would have shit himself the night before. The night before, he would have been a nervous wreck. I, I love the fact that Lance Lynn says, I, "I went to bed knowing I needed to show up today." Well, he needs to do that every single time he goes out and pitches. The night before, he needs to realize that he needs to show up. Maybe the Yankees just DVR a game that they get crushed in and have him watch that, thinking they they lost the night before. No, the Boston series. They need to keep playing that game. That, keep playing the same game. The over same and over. game. Yeah, let's not change okay. anything. Like we're going to go anti Sunday Gray. We're going to get into a very regimented routine. He's going to watch the the Red Sox <clears throat> game and then come out and pitch every time. Um, 
it's interesting because the next night, Sonny Gray actually got the win in extra innings. And after the game, he said it was a big moment for me. Uh, it was a big moment for the team, but also a big moment for me. I just went out there and gripped it and ripped it. That was my mentality. And I find it interesting that maybe Sonny Gray, because he didn't think about this, he didn't know he was going to need to be relied upon in extra innings until he got up in the bullpen. So he didn't have any time to overthink things. He was using a lot of his different, a lot of his pitches, throwing to Higgy, who's not his quote personal catcher. So just went out there and pitched. Uh, and maybe that is what we just need for Sonny Gray. Is we were. Right in saying a lot of this is mental. It's not physical. He has the talent, but mentally, he was not in a place to go out there and pitch. Yoai. He was mentally Yoai. The we we know that though. I mean, like this is a this is this is almost not debatable anymore. But we see it in practice. We saw it in practice on Tuesday night. Yeah, no, for sure. I was like, practice. We're, are we practicing now? Did they take fungos? And I missed that. <laughs> Maybe the, uh, practice isn't the right word. We saw it happen. <laughs> it's early, guys. It's it was really executed. early. Yeah, we started recording this when the sun was uh, barely coming out. The um, no, I, I liked what I saw because it didn't look like he was thinking. It looked like he was just going out there and using his natural goddamn ability to to throw the ball, and that is. To, to me, indisputable. We all know he's got the ability to do this. We all know he, he, he's got the physical talent to go out there and, uh, and pitch well. It's just a matter of him putting it all together and executing and, um, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's throwing to Romine or throwing to Gary Sanchez or throwing to Higgy, like all that crap needs to, be go, needs to go away. Like to me, if Sonny Gray comes back to this rotation, which I do expect him, to, I expect it to happen at some point uh, this season, you know, this personal catcher thing, gone, out the window. Like, forget about it. It doesn't matter who he throws to, and he needs to understand that. Like, all of that needs to go away. All of this thinking, all of this nonsense, all of this, all of this preparation with, with one guy needs to go away. He needs to focus on himself, and that's it. And this grip it and rip it mentality, if that works, whether that's just him going out and saying something to the media, whatever. Whatever he did, it worked, and he looked good. He, his pitches looked good. They were sharp. Like I thought it was one of the three of the best innings I've seen Sonny Gray pitch. And it, whatever that was, he needs to bottle it up and take it with him every time he goes to the mound. And use that, Sonny, as your routine. Use, yes. use, use the fact that you don't you know, like get in your own head or you have something that you, whatever you did, go back and, and let's document what you did and bottle that up and actually get some kind of routine, Sonny. Please, please, God, please. <laughs> the, uh, well, I thought it was big also that in the second inning that he pitched, he actually had some runners on base. And uh, I think that he did not get derailed. And I think that's also a big moment for him is the fact that he didn't let a, a single and a fielder's choice and a walk just totally caused him to melt down and have the Yankees lose the game. Well, I, mean, I thought for sure we were losing at that point. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, here we go again. It's it's the same old tale, and Sonny's on the mound. This is this is it. This is this is where we all, this is where we all just uh, lose complete faith. And he came out and, and and pitched to his credit. You know, good for him. Uh, you um, you mentioned that you expect Sonny Gray to be back in the rotation, and yeah. I, and I probably agree with you. But do you see that happening without an injury to one of the current five starters? Um, I think there's going to be at some point we talked about how Boone is managing uh, innings, managing you know players with how they're playing. I think we'll see some of that at some point. Um, I think they're going to keep him stretched out. So I, mm -hmm. I I don't think we're going to see him come in and throw uh you know an inning here and then and, and just be completely you know um physically ready for the bullpen. I I still think they're going to keep him stretched out as much as possible so that if that were to occur. But yeah, I, I mean. 
Injury for sure. He's the first guy to come back in, no doubt about it. Well, that's an easy. That's easy, but yeah. but it's not easy if people are. I mean, for, first of all, there's guys you know that are not being pulled from the rotation. So right. what we're really looking at is if next time Lance Lynn goes out there and gets his doors blown off, then maybe Sonny Gray goes back out. But other than Lance Lynn, who who are you? Who is Boone going to pull from the rotation? I just don't see it happening. No, I just I think later in the season I could see him going to you know this quasi six man rotation type thing where he's where he's you know sheltering Maybe some guys. If the know, team doesn't have an off day or, or something like if that. If the team doesn't have an off day, if that if that wild card lead expands and the the you know the lead in the division doesn't close at, at all, you know he's gonna there's gonna be more maintenance I think and more of this this situation where we're gonna be seeing guys you know trying to stay healthy and um, you know sometimes that can bite you in the ass but you know we've seen it we saw it with uh, last year. Um, you know when they went out and just got some arms basically to to throw you know so we could keep Tanaka's a guy they're gonna they're gonna want to keep healthy and we know how he pitches um, at night with an extra day extra versus days rest. you know so yep. like, there's things like this like that I think they're gonna do CC could absolutely use um, you know some longer uh, some longer rest in between starts we've seen how he's pitched with a, another day or two off so I, I think both of those guys I'm not so much sure Tanaka anymore because I think those numbers were a little overblown um, and he looks like he's really you know starting to go well. Um, but CC for sure, I, like I, they're going to need to keep CC fresh. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and if you look at CC's performance on Tuesday, he threw 103 pitches, which for him is a lot of pitches. Five and two thirds, struck out 12 guys. But um, I could see after a start like that, maybe Boone thinks about giving him an extra day. Yeah, absolutely, and and maybe that's a bullpen day with with where they start. You know, a guy like Sonny Gray, or they don't start Sonny Gray and they bring him in as the second guy to right. To you surprise him. You got to surprise. <laughs> you got to surprise him. Keep keep Sonny <laughs> on his toes. Do not tell. Do not pencil his name in as the starter because otherwise, that's gonna not end well for Sonny Gray. Hey, Sonny, you're pitching on Thursday, and then Tuesday you get him up. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he's just in the middle of Netflix. Just yeah, now. he's watching Pe- running out there, rewatching Peaky Blinders season three, and yeah. um, and he's got to go back out. I like it. I, I think this is good. This is what we need to do. Just completely trick him Tuesday's game though would have been another devastating loss for this team because the Yankees take the lead with Stanton's uh homer in the 10th uh and then Britain gives up a two-run game tying home run to Abreu Britain since the start of 2016 had only given up four uh has only given up four home runs so four including the one on Tuesday three prior to that this guy does not give up anything in the air he's a dead ground ball pitcher and he gives up the two-run tying shot that would have been absolutely devastating to lose that game. I really appreciate him to give up 25% of his home runs while he's with the team for like a week. (laughs) And he's been with the Orioles for how many years? And now he gives up 25% of his home runs. Um, You know, he was, he left a pitch up. It was a mistake pitch, obviously in Abreu, who's uh, probably their best player, uh, you know, made him pay for it. And, and, you know, Britain, you could tell, I'll tell you one thing. I liked Britain's reaction a lot. (laughs) He was, he was, so pissed off at himself and like it carried into the dugout like you could tell that this guy's has has a level of perfectionist to him um that i really like and i i think that you know maybe maybe that home run will will benefit us in the you know the, going down the stretch with this guy because um he just seems like a, a big gamer and uh and and obviously doesn't miss pitches very often and if he does it's usually down uh, and they're not getting out of the ballpark so you know whatever it was a bad it was a bad thing when that happened when when Stanton came out and hit that home run, like you're like, bam! Like this team is—that's the stuff that we needed. We you need that kind of home run in the tenth inning to go up and then come back out. Uh, Chapman's not available. Britain comes in, shuts the door down. Boom! That's a big team win late in the game, and, and that's the kind of win that could really propel you. It didn't happen. 
but we saw some other things that that helped you know because when you when you see uh animosity or when you see um a team struggle and then sees and then Sonny comes in and, and does the the three innings w- with a guy that you're not expecting like that's a big thing for him and then having um you know the the team fight back after uh, after that demoralizing home run given up by Britain I, I think is a big deal and, and it's definitely a big uh, team win do you find that the White Sox stadium guaranteed right field just looks tiny that pop-ups end up going out to right center and left center. I, I've always thought that about that stadium, but I saw a few balls this uh, this series where it doesn't even look like the batter had a great swing. Like it almost looked like a Stan's grand like, slam. Stan's grand slam, but even a Abreu's two-run homer off Britain kind of looked like he got jammed slightly, and it just flew out two rows deep. It just it just seems like that ballpark is tiny. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Abreu's a strong dude too. I, I think of course that he is. He's but one of those Stan's guys that can muscle dude, it out. But still. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I saw the, when I saw the ball, when I saw the pitch, and I saw him hit it, I, I thought it was gone. So okay. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, a, it's definitely the right field definitely plays very short. I mean, that that home run that uh, that Stanton hit, I, had, I didn't think had a chance to go out, um, but it did. It barely went out, but it did. And and Duhar had a great series. He ended up having the game winning. Uh, RBI single on on Tuesday, but he had a great series at the plate as well. Continues to hit. He was DHing on Monday and Tuesday, and I, and I think um, it's interesting. We haven't really seen him DH back to back days often. Do you think that's a little bit of a punishment for the way he played at at third base in Boston? I mean, I think punishment is probably the wrong word, but I think the uh, I think they're probably trying to give him some days off. Yeah, maybe get some reps in before the game and just uh, just clean some of his stuff up. I mean, he had a nice snag on Wednesday night. Um, but you know, I, I think the one thing that we've noticed with Andujar, it's 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 the the problems come from him in the field is when he has too much time. Uh, he's got good reaction skills over there, like his glove work isn't isn't bad. But when there's a ball that's maybe an in between bounce, like he's been terrible with those. His footwork is not good, and I think the footwork goes into the way that he attacks the ground balls or steps back on them. Like he's he's sometimes very indecisive on that. It's the hesitation too yep. with some of his throws, and then the throws. Well, it's it's a it's a hesitation, but it's also you know a lot of that is getting your feet in place and getting your uh, you know getting your lower half in position so that you can make the throw quickly. And I think he's, he's, uh, he's slow in that too. So I think his footwork he, is one of the biggest issues with him third base. He does the, the, he taps the ball on his glove too, sometimes twice before he throws the ball. And, and, and I just scream at the TV, throw, throw, throw. What are you doing? But you're also seeing when he does that, when he does the tap, like sometimes he'll even throw that on the, on his back, on the back of his foot, like on his heel. He doesn't step into his throw even. So even that to me is a timing uh, footwork thing. Like if he's, if he's actually like coming through the ball and, and getting his feet right so that he can actually step through the throw, you can't really do that tap thing. Or if you're doing it, you're moving your legs at the same time. But he, he doesn't seem to do that. So that's one of the big things that I think he'll, he'll be working on in the offseason is his footwork. And you know that could be cleaned up because his glove work to me is, is – is not bad. I mean, he's got good reaction skills over there. He does put his glove on on balls, but it's the uh, it's it's when he has too much time is when he gets in trouble. He is the anti Chase Headley as far as throwing motion too, because Headley was way over the top, and then right. and Duhar kind of comes sidearm submarine. Yeah, he throws at different angles. Like when he's when he's <laughs> doing that tap thing, and then, yeah, he'll throw he'll throw like three quarter. Uh, yeah. like real low and it looks ugly as hell and you're like god please make that ball go to the first baseman's glove and yeah. not bounce because greg bird's not going to pick it. it greg bird is a, a mediocre at best first baseman in my opinion it, all around because are, are we are we talking about we're just talking yet? about de- defensively let's just focus on defensively because for greg bird i mean right he's now. pretty much showing that all around right now yeah well 
Anyway, uh, and Duhar, just a quick update on some of the advanced metrics for his fielding. Minus 14 DRS and minus 9.2 UZR this season. And for the listeners that have no idea what you just said. Uh-huh. Can uh, you- defensive run saved is DRS and uh, UZR is Fangraph's uh, ultimate zone rating. Okay. Minus is bad. When you're minus, that's not good. If you're around zero, that's league average. So already he, he is deep into the minus territory is Andujar. Yeah, it's not. Those metrics don't look good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when you're watching him play, they don't. That doesn't look good either, because because of the timing that he uh, when he when he throws his bad plays are awful. But the Yankees have have essentially said we're our con- we're putting all of our confidence in Andujar. Our eggs are in Andujar at third base. Our eggs are in his basket. Well, at this point, they have to. I mean, they they don't really have somebody who can go in there and affect effectively play the way. Um, that he does offensively because he's he's one of the Yankees' best offensive players right now. I mean, forget about Definitely. rookies. Forget about rookies. Like, let, get rid of that conversation because it's him and Glaber Torres for sure. But when you're talking about the guys on the team, he's one of the best offensive players. And you know, with the home run uh, that he hit on Tuesday, they were getting no hit. <laughs> they were getting no hit. Uh, also and, important to note. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so the fact that well, Andrew comes a- out and and does you know that's two big hits in in, in one game. Like the guy. You know, he swings for the fences, it seems like, every time, but he makes a lot of contact, too. But I plate discipline can be worked on. He's never going to be a like a 400 on-base percentage guy where he takes 100 walks in a season. He's never going to be Aaron Judge patient at the plate. But he can learn to be a little bit more patient, learn to recognize pitches, because he still gets fooled on that breaking ball low and away. But he also does not miss pitches um, in the middle of the plate. He does not miss fastballs. And when he is struggling in the field doesn't let it affect him at the plate it's funny that you say Aaron Judge patient at the plate because in 2016 you never in a million years would have said that and that was uh, Judge's rookie year he was there for um, it was ended uh, early with a with an injury but Andujar is a rookie like this is a guy that's going to be working on this he's going to see more pitching and more pitching obviously and he's going to be more familiar with the guys that are throwing to him and you know he's going to have that more more confidence every day he's out there I think he's gaining confidence at the plate so well, can we get this him is one of those judges things. swing guru? Yes. Can we can we can we have him go there? Can we send the whole team there in the offseason? <laughs> yeah, I mean the guy's good. Yeah, but the guy's good. We had him on our show. You should check it out. Although if everyone just takes judges' approach at the plate, we're gonna have a bunch of fifteen-hour baseball games. Can you imagine that approach one through nine against Chris Sale? Everyone just goes one for three with a walk, a strikeout, and a home run. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Sale. I meant David Price when I said that. Oh, that David would be Price. Yeah, that yeah. would be a uh, six-hour game. Yes. Um, Sevy bounced back, I think, um, seven innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, no walks. I thought that in the first inning, when he gave up those two runs, he was missing his location. And at that point you're thinking, well, if he cannot show up against this White Sox team, something's got to be up. There's got to be an injury. There's got to be a dead arm situation. Something is wrong with Severino. That's, that was running through my head after the first inning. Yeah, I definitely think everybody went to uh, went to the the bad places in their head when they saw what what, what he was doing against the White Sox in the first uh, in the first inning. He was definitely leaving balls over the plate. He was getting you know, there was hard contact. It was not what Severino. It's it's what we're, we've uh, been used to. I think over the past um, what five starts now from Severino. Even though in Boston, I think that he he did come back after a rough start, and I, I think that's exactly what we saw here today. So uh, this here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of one. I'm sticking to the fact that this is a, a slump uh, in in Severino's um, in Severino's season. That there is potentially fatigue. I don't know if it's in the arm. 
maybe somewhere in the body and, and what that has led to. I don't know if it's fatigue currently, but it was fatigue at some point that, that led to poor mechanics and he got into some bad habits with, with mechanics. So I think this is very mechanical because what we're seeing is him coming out in the first inning, uh, him coming out in the second inning, uh, this game and then also in the Boston game. But then he makes he, he makes some kind of a tweak or comes back out and does something and we start seeing you know semblances of the old Severino that we saw in the first half of the year. And, you know, the slider, I think, uh, towards the end of the game was was good. I think he had uh, good movement on it. The fastball was live. So I'm not seeing, like, any deficiencies in the pitches. It's, it's the execution in them. And I think that's mechanical. Do you think that Severino needs to get back to April and May and June when he was unbeatable if the Yankees want to win a World Series? Um, I mean... I don't think he needs to be completely unbeatable, but yeah, I think he needs to be that that dominant guy who can go deep in a game and and uh, and, and you know let up one or two runs. I think that's uh, that's that's probably the guy that we need. Yeah, I'd say that. Well, I think going deep into a game with one or two runs is is dominant. I mean, Severino had that streak where he led the majors since the start of last year, going uh, at least seven and not giving up a, and only giving up one or zero earned runs. I mean that's what that's what we're talking about. Is yeah. if you do that, you're you're essentially unbeatable, especially with the Yankees bullpen. I mean, if you're asking me if we can if the Yankees can win a World Series if Severino is giving up three runs and going six innings and we're getting quality starts out of Luis Severino, then no, I don't think we can win the World Series unless the bats just come out completely on fire um, and everybody gets healthy. So like perfect situations need to happen on offense. Uh, we need to to not run into any hot pitchers, which never happens in the playoffs. Um, and uh, and and then everybody else in the rotation needs to pitch similar. So no, I don't think that's possible. I, I think we need him to be our best pitcher uh, in in the rotation and and come out there and and win ball games and and you know throw throw a lot of zeros up on the uh, in the box score. I agree. So that's another thing we need to see over the next month and a half before the playoffs start. And, and, well, and I think Is we're seeing Severino getting back to his we're, his we're first half pro- self. We're seeing progression. I mean, I th- I think yeah. that we're seeing progression for sure. Like the I don't see a dead arm. I, I don't. He's still throwing 99 miles an hour and still has filthy bite on that slider. Right. Like, I think back to Canely when he was coming out throwing 95 when we're used to seeing 98 out of Canely. That was a little alarming. We're not seeing that with Severino. No, we're not seeing that at Severino. I, I don't think it's a velocity or, or a dead arm issue, but I think it's mechanical. <clears throat> and uh, don't look now, talking about Stan, after his grand slam, he leads the Yankees in hits, home runs, and RBIs, and second in batting average. I understand that's partially because Judge is out. He probably would not be leading in, in home runs and RBIs if Judge had been playing the last two weeks. But kind of quietly, I mean, we've been talking about Stanton ever since that walk-off against Seattle really turning things around. But this is what the Yankees signed up for. Lead the team in home runs and RBIs. That's what you're getting paid to do. Yeah, I mean, everybody was on the on a cliff early in the season. And I don't know, I, I feel like... I feel like there was a steadiness uh, on over here thinking that like this guy's going to be just fine. Like, yeah, he looked ugly. There's no doubt. Usually when, when you get guys like this um, for whatever reason, I, there's a lot of, a lot of big guys have, have slow starts in the in beginning. And I want to talk about the weather. People don't want to use that as an excuse, but I think it's a very valid thing. I think when the weather gets warmer, you start seeing the big guys start hitting better and, and you start seeing uh, just balls fly. I mean, in humidity, the balls will fly and it just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Baseball's not supposed to be played in 40-degree weather. And the Yankees got pretty hit, hit pretty damn hard early in the season with uh, with some terrible weather situations. So um, I think there, that combined with the fact that he's coming to a new team, uh, just got traded after a monster year with the National League MVP, uh, coming over with like massive expectations. Uh, you combine all of those things with the struggles at home, 
you know, you're, you're going to, that equates to a, a slower start, but the guy yeah. is, uh, is, is coming back to the numbers that he was at last year. So he's, he's a good baseball player. And the, the funny thing is, is that when we saw him early in the season, when we saw the bad games, like when he was looked just completely overmatched and like, what, what's this guy doing? It looks like he's not even swinging a baseball bat at this point. We saw, we, we had never seen that guy before, I think, cause he was hidden in Miami and nobody saw that bad Stanton early in the season or whenever he was, uh, whenever he was bad because nobody really watches the, the Marlins games, right? you know? So ESPN sports center doesn't play the five strikeout Stanton games or maybe, no. maybe they, but certain they do for the Yankees. They did not when he was with Miami. Right. So I think that was something that was definitely unexpected. And when we're seeing that or like, well, what is this guy? And that's not who he is. That was a bad yeah bad time for him obviously he was a little lost at the plate but he found it so um i don't know i like the guy a lot i like the way that he uh conducts himself i like the the demeanor that he has he he hasn't changed his tone at all from day one like the guy is the same dude and i love that i think that's when you have consistency like that you know the results will come all right before we uh wrap this up i want to talk about um michael k's comments about clint frazier and jacoby ellsbury and i and i think we can use that as a segue to uh, discuss Ellsbury having hip surgery and being out. Why are you laughing? Months. You're very inconsiderate right now. Oblique strain, lower back injury, foot injury, toe injury, now hip surgery. Yeah. Like, it's unbelievable with Ellsbury. It's crazy. When you look at those those injuries, whether, you know, I don't know how they all, if the oblique strain is connected to the lower back, which is connected to the foot, which is connected to the toe, like I don't, you could you could maybe say that you know it just it just it just went all the way down well, his body they they didn't <laughs> diagnose the problems originally the, he was obviously feeling pain that's because he, he was in uh he was he was in the woods of uh of oregon <laughs> nowhere to be seen I, he might have been uh, in the facilities down in tampa for the yankees because remember when the yankees were were playing the rays in tampa ellsbury would show up to the clubhouse he'd be like he'd curse hey guys. voodoo all over the team hey hey guys remember maybe that's me, why they me? it's a house of horrors down there they can't win because ellsbury came in and infected everything do you think he got the uh do you think ellsbury was getting the a doctors or the b doctors I think he's getting the B doctors down Z in Tampa. Z doctors. Yeah. I think he's getting, the, he's getting the B doctors down in Tampa. I'm not so sure he's getting the, the, the best quality healthcare down there. No. I'm not even sure that they have his, if his, if his, uh, if his insurance is valid no. any longer. He, with he, he, his copay isn't even covered at the doctor <laughs> at this point. <clears throat> but yeah, Michael K came out and said, first of all, when K came out this, I don't know how you feel about this whole thing. Uh, Cause we haven't talked about this yet. Um, but it, it came out that Michael K came on, I guess he was on another radio show, right? He was calling in to, to a, another show and said they were asking about injuries and he said something about the fact that, you know, they weren't able to come back faster or something like that. Right? Shame, shame on Ellsbury and shame on Clint Frazier for being injured in a time where the Yankees could right. really use some outfield depth so they don't have to play Shane Robinson against the Red Sox. Right. First of all, uh, there there are there is a contingent of people I think, and I might be on that camp that says uh, Shane Robinson and Ellsbury, eh, not so, not so different. But well, the um, only difference is that Ellsbury is the third highest paid Yankee. Yeah. The so the comments to me when I, when I heard the comments, uh, I thought that uh, Michael Kay was just like being sarcastic and in jest and was was saying this. If you if you listen to Kay on the radio at all or, or know he he does have a dry sense of humor in this sense. It, the way he the way he said it, it didn't sound like that and, and it came out bad on his end for sure. Um, but I, I mean I personally don't think there was any intent on that end and I don't think he was saying like shame on them for not coming back 
Like, I, I don't think, I think it was taken out of context personally, but. Um, oh, see, I think that he meant shame on Jacoby Ellsbury because he keeps getting injured and it's ridiculous with this guy. And I think he just included Clint Frazier in that conversation because he's the next guy he thought of, probably forgetting he's dealing with a head injury. Yeah, see, I don't think that. I think that when he, the, the delivery, the way it came out, it sounded like it was just like, he, when he jokes around, it doesn't sound like a joke half the time. Like, I don't know. I've never, heard him jo- I've never heard him joke around. Right, that's the thing. The only like, time I hear him joke around like is if Paul O'Neill or David Cohen bust his balls. And it, it's painful to listen to him try and joke around, honestly. Right, because he's so dry. You can't tell. And I think that when he said it in his brain, in that big ass head of his, that he thought that it was going to come across as um, in jest or as a joke. And it didn't. It was bad. The, the way the delivery came out. But I don't know. I, I think it was... Uh, I think it was a, a lot to do about nothing, honestly. Um, he should have come out and said that he hit his head before that interview and, and didn't know what he was saying. Right, because that wouldn't have been mocking the injury even longer, even more. <laughs> but Frazier came out and said something like, you know. Yeah, so, I see, I thought that was, that was uh, I think Clint Frazier should not have said anything. I agree. Yeah, don't, don't label it because I could label it too. But uh, I, I don't think he should have said anything either. I mean, how many times are you going to, how many times are people in the media going to say something about a player? It's, yeah. All the time. They always say eat. something. Like you just, you need to let, let that stuff go away. Yes. If he had left it where it was, social media alone would have destroyed Kay by himself. Like he could have just watched it burn, you know, from a distance. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to everyone, everyone was crushing Michael Kay for yeah. it. So if, if Clint Frazier wanted to direct message Michael Kay or even talk right. to him next time he saw him and say, Hey, did you really mean this? And obviously Michael Kay would have apologized and all that stuff. But instead it looks weak. It looks like he blasts him are, on social media. It's, it's it, a, it, to me, it's an immature see, move. I don't think Clint Frazier really cared. I just think he's looking for attention on social media. Oh, I, I certainly don't think he cared. I don't think he gets bothered by any of that stuff. No, but I agree. Especially I, Michael K saying shame on you for getting injured. You know, it's so ridiculous because you have a head injury and there's no set timetable for that. You're not rehabbing a hamstring. You're trying to get your brain right. And, and honestly, we're not even at a point medically that we know exactly when, when brains are right or wrong. It, it's, it's not an exact science. So, so Clint Frazier feels helpless because of that. There's no way he's concerning himself with Michael K. He just saw an opportunity to get a thousand retweets. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a strange way to come out and, and say something. And, and whether you like it or not, like Michael K is the voice of the Yankees. He's the he is the guy. Oh, that is, is coming out there. John Sterling has something to say about that uh, on television. You're right. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Mr. Sterling. I apologize. You are the voice of the Yankees. Michael K is the well, Scott. Television. I thank you. <laughs> the um so at that point like to me when you're a player and you're trying to be uh, in the major leagues on the New York Yankees for a long time like there are some relationships that need to be uh that need to be conducted in a in a different manner behind the scenes and yeah, yeah Michael K said something like that first of all it's his job to talk and ninety like and, you know he's gonna say something dumb eventually we I know. know we know that game like yeah, you talk you long enough shit. you're gonna say something stupid exactly right. we only talk for two hours a week and say plenty of dumb stuff. So, you know, whether something was taken out of context or uh, taken the wrong way, whatever, it, it was, he called it clumsy a delivery of the words. I think it was pretty much that. I think it was, uh, you know, the way he said it was not right. Um, Michael Kay has, I, I've always thought that was a, you know, like a genuinely nice guy. He seems like that. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's any malice there by any means. So I think he just said something wrong and, and people, you know, the, 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 
people jump on anything at this in this day and age, especially with social media. So it was an opportunity to to crush him. And you know what? Fine, crush him for saying something dumb for for delivering it in in a way that wasn't good. Um, but then he then he just went and stepped on his foot like five thousand times and vomited all over himself with the stupid apologies that he was doing on Twitter. That yeah. was just like apologizing for for if you take things the wrong way. It's like just stop. Like everybody is- needs to stop in this whole situation. People dislike Michael K, and I th- I do not dislike Michael K. I actually think for a play-by-play announcer that you have to watch 150 times a year, he's pretty good. I've watched plenty of other broadcasts, and they are unlistenable. The guys have no chemistry. They're 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 dry. Like it is horrible to listen to some of these announcers for the, either the Royals or the Athletics or whatever it may be. The Rays, the Nationals, or the Orioles. The, they're all the bad. Rays announcers are the worst. I think, but um. So Michael Kay, in that sense, I think is a solid play-by-play announcer. I think this is when he gets himself in trouble because he's he's an I think a little bit of an awkward uh, personality, and I like you said, very dry sense of humor. No one seems to understand that about him, and he does not deal with criticism well at all. If you criticize him on social no. media, he flips out, and that is the yes. worst way to handle criticism on social media. Right. And, I mean, he, I think he's stepped back that from that a little bit, but you know, he's also different in the sense that he has a, a, a talk show in New York, uh, you know, in the, in the afternoons where it's a, it's a big, uh, it, it's a huge slot. Like this guy is not just the, the Yankees. Well, it's um, not number one. Guy. He's not number one, but he's, he's definitely a, uh, in a, in a big market and he's got his own radio show. So yeah. he, he also gives opinions, um, for a living too, which is kind of a, uh, a tricky place to be. Well, like you, you we just said you talk long enough. You give enough opinions, you're going to give some bad ones. A thousand percent, and so, and you're also going to execute them poorly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. All right, that'll that's going to do it for us. Uh, quick series in Chicago is wrapped up. Yankees uh, going to head back home, play four against the Rangers, and then uh, one against the Mets. That makeup game, which I will be at, and hopefully Severino, a lot of people... Severino Degrom is lining up for that. By the way. Oh, really? I did not know. So the Yankees do not miss DeGrom because they were supposed to face DeGrom on uh, on, on that on, Sunday. Yes. So, no, they don't. But at least it's uh, Severino versus DeGrom. That, that'll, be a, that'll definitely be a good one for everybody that can make that makeup game. Awesome. Any last words before we get out of here? Just sign up for the uh, event. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet for the August 18th event, go on and do that. The tickets will be on sale through the weekend. Uh, Monday will probably be the last day so that we can uh, just coordinate all the seats and things like that. Um, I did order a whole bunch of extra t-shirts too. So if you did sign up late, you will most likely get a t-shirt day of, or you will get one afterwards that will be sent to you. So uh, go ahead, sign up, bring your crew. And again, the promo still applies. If you captain a, uh, a crew that's 10 or more, we're buying your ticket. If you do, uh, if you captain a crew that's five or more, your ticket's half off. So take advantage of that. Send, send a group text out and get your, uh, get your friends together. Good stuff. We'll talk to you on Monday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.